passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It is Wednesday night here at Post Wrestling. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Welcome to Rewind a Dynamite, where we rewind and talk about what we have just seen. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing great. You look crystal clear. This is a wonderful angle of you, and you're moving. There's motion on yeah. your side of the camera. Yeah, let's not jinx ourselves, okay, John? We've had one good show. On, Perfect uh, broadcast coming up. A few days ago, but um, hopefully it manages. I think we found the issue, so... Um, Hopefully, I'll, I'll look and sound a lot better this time. The other day, I went to the store to get my normal brand of decaf coffee. They were all out, so I had to buy an alternative. You mean like the like the beans or the grounds, or what do you mean? The beans, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I bought a, a an alternative brand, and uh-huh. I am nearly convinced that this decaf is mislabeled because I I had this last <laughs> night. And at two in the morning, dude, I was like, my heart was racing, dude, at two in the morning. I was like, this feels like I have just had like worse than normal coffee. It just felt like a jolt to my system of, and yet I'm having it again tonight and we're going to see. So, Hmm. um, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you would um, necessarily test that. I, I, I mean, you're testing it right now, I suppose. But I'm just um, telling you my the, the way I've read. Maybe I'm just not used to this particular version. Of the, although I have had this decaf coffee before, but never have had this effect of it. I don't rarely. I, I rarely get like a jolt from coffee. It's sort of just really. Yeah, it's more so a mindset thing. Maybe switch to tea. I might. I might be moving to tea, or I'll just water. That's always a decent option. These are the things people have tuned in to hear about right off the top. So we're going to move on from there. Did you have a good day? How was your Wednesday? I had a pretty decent day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I would classify it as, as pretty good. I didn't really go out. The weather wasn't so great, but, you know, got to stay home with uh, with my kid and just it's always good when you can spend family time. So, okay. yeah. Well, that's that sounds like a wonderful day. We might be getting a – I think there's a um, – frost warning for this weekend what else is new i'm sure next week we'll get you know um what at 15 centimeters of snow tornadoes whatever nothing surprises me anymore well maybe maybe some of these news items will surprise you we're going to start off with actually you know what let's just do our regular cm punk segment is there anything to discuss about cm punk 
Uh, Wade Keller noting that apparently he had his meeting with Chris Jericho. We got a bit more information about how he ended up at Raw on Monday. Look uh-huh. at this perfect photo. That apparently he was on his way back from the CFFC show in Florida and was on the plane with several WWE talents and then ends up going to the Allstate Arena. Uh, but that's the latest. That is the latest on TM Punk. And uh, I'm just asking if you have any new thoughts, if you have anything you want to talk about, because we we okay. need to include a chapter on CM Punk, <laughs> apparently on every single show. We have to yeah. talk about this man's every movement yeah. Um, yeah. as it pertains. Yeah, yeah. Listen, um, I find him incredibly fascinating to discuss uh, what his move, like, you know, choices and actions are, whether it be on social media or in person in this case. Uh, they're wonderful to just try to dissect and analyze, even whether or not there's there's much. Is behind. he rooting for the Leafs or the Lightning in this series? Who do you think he has an allegiance to? Uh, Leafs or the Lightning? Um, I don't. I, know. I can see him having like an original six affinity for the Maple Leafs over the Lightning. Maybe, maybe, but it, I mean, Chicago's in in the series, right? Like, who who are Chicago going to face? Are they? It, it is, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about. Hockey. I'm just talking about that specific <laughs> series itself. Right. Okay. Anyway, um, I mean, I saw a lot of discussion, a lot of debate about um, whether or not this is calculated or if it's just, in fact, the guy deciding to go visit his friends. I still have a really hard time buying a man deciding to just suddenly go and visit his friends because it happens to be in Chicago. I mean, wrestling has been in Chicago. WWE has been in Chicago plenty of times. Uh, Was this just so convenient that he happened to get off a flight and had a direct, you know, connection there? I guess it's possible. Anything's possible. I just find it a bit harder to believe. I I think people have that that same idea that this is a guy that is, you know, you always are looking at like what is what is the play here? And I go back to what I said Monday. I think this ultimately comes down to if Tony Khan knew ahead of time or did not and and how you react as such. I would say regardless, I just think it was a an odd move to make at, at this juncture when you are just trying to rehabilitate things with your company. And here he is going to the other company to mend fences. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm ready to move on. Yes. He's got like, you know, plenty of headlines uh, coming out of this, uh, whether or not intentional, I, I, whatever, let the speculation continue to begin. I, I believe I heard some pretty light CM Punk chants on Dynamite tonight. I don't know if you managed to catch that. It was very brief, but they were there. Yes. Right. I was surprised right. we didn't get any on Monday because just yeah. with that story itself. And I mean, maybe mm-hmm. there were some, but I didn't detect any Monday. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't either. Let's talk about this lawsuit. It's a pretty significant story. This is was filed by Brittany Abrahams, who was a writer with WWE from 2020 until April of 2022. She was hired on the SmackDown brand. And it is worth it. She, she is a black woman. And that plays very significantly into this story. It's a civil suit that she has filed against WWE, Vincent Stephanie McMahon, and then writers uh, Ryan Callahan, Chris Dunn, Jen Pepperman, uh, Mike Heller, and Christine Lebrano, who's their SVP of Creative Writing Relations. They are listed on the suit, and she is making claims of discriminatory treatment, harassment, a hostile work environment, wrongful termination, and unlawful retaliation against the plaintiff due to her race, color, and gender, and does include a list of witnesses that saw several of these incidents that she alleges. So she left the company uh, just after WrestleMania 38 last year in Dallas, and she 
cited several instances uh, in the writer's room or dialogue among writers that she found to be problematic. One of them being uh, verbiage that was written for Bianca Belair, that allegedly Bianca Belair took issue with multiple times that she did not want to say. And that was the line, "Uh uh-huh, don't make me take off my earrings and beat your ass. And then it was Abraham's bringing up that these are based upon cruel, ugly stereotypes of dark-skinned black women. And that Abraham's emailed Ryan Callahan her concerns with this wording. Uh, There's other issues that were brought up here, one of which was an idea to put Reggie in drag while he was paired with Carmella. And this was discussed on a Slack channel that include the McMahon, included the McMahons, Bruce Pritchard, Ed Kosky, the Apollo Crews character that we did see make it to air. And one, I mean, several of these that are, I mean, in some ways are mind blowing, but in other ways you can not be as, as stunned that these ideas were thrown out there. Shane Thorne, was going to have a hunting gimmick and that it was pitched that a white Caucasian male wrestler with a hunting gimmick would hunt a black male wrestler for fun. And that Shane Thorne would go and hunt Reggie quote, holding Reggie captive in cages was also discussed. And then the other story involving a love triangle between Mansoor, Aaliyah and Angel Garza, where Mansoor would have a deep, dark secret. And when they were throwing out ideas, what could this secret be? One of the writers threw out a joke that perhaps Mansoor could be behind the 9-11 attacks. And that is the secret that he has been holding all these years. Right. That would be quite the secret to have held on to for all these years. And then admitted on national television as as well. And Mm -hmm. um, that pitch was uh, met with nervous laughter by um, one of the witnesses here, uh, also a, a black woman that was on the team as well. So, I mean, it's it's highlighting a lot of um, a lot of offensive stories. Some of which, I mean, in in the case of Apollo Cruz, that's an interesting one because we debated it at the time of whether this was going to be a character that Apollo Cruz was embracing, if it was going to work for him. That you are drawing upon his lineage. I think a lot of this comes down to the the buy-in of the performer himself and what kind of, you know, is this something that he is pushing for? Is this something that he is doing against his will? How does the performer uh, feel about it? I, I can't say I watched that character. I'm also not Nigerian and felt like it was, you know, I can certainly see with the the way that they presented him with the spear and such that that got into territory that was uncomfortable for some. I guess it was the accent itself and the idea that went into the character was sort of up for your interpretation. And it was panned by some, but embraced by others. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know uh, how Apollo Cruz felt about it. I also ultimately, um, I think we should focus on like what exactly the, the lawsuit is about. She's suing for wrongful dismissal. Is that correct? Right. So the issue that came out at the end is that essentially is what she is saying is that she brought up her concerns with many of these issues and Mm -hmm. sort of speaking to the culture that she absorbed during her year and a half that she was with the company. Mm -hmm. And then at WrestleMania 38, they have the collectible chairs that are there ringside. And several of the writers were going to take these chairs and she ended up taking one and then she was the one that was reprimanded over this. And she believed that 
she was the only one singled out and ended up being terminated April 7th, just days after WrestleMania, with the idea that all of these complaints, this was their out to cut ties with her over a pretty flimsy reason about taking a commemorative chair from WrestleMania. But it is going to force many to examine the uh, the makeup of the writer's room, The when you are writing for many different ethnicities, when you are essentially putting words in the mouth of performers and what kind of culture does exist here. This is, I, I think that's also something to that has been brought up in all of this is that these are all ideas that it was sort of, these people all felt comfortable throwing out these outrageous ideas. And let's be honest, you're reading these ideas. Are there any of these that you could imagine would have made it to television at some point in WWE's history? Like, yeah, it's, of course we could go through a laundry list of stuff that does. And when we, we have lived through it, like we, we have lived through all lived of this, through and Hassan. like go through, Hassan was in the news. go through uh, like all of Freaking this. Apollo Cruz was, was a ninja like a year ago. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Or sorry, sorry. Uh, what Tozawa? Akira Tozawa, who yeah. I mean is like very offensive character that was just sort of accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can go through all of these, and that kind of comes down to like what who is being written for and what is being encouraged. And are these outliers, these ideas, or is this sort of what has been developed in terms of like these are ideas that are not only accepted but encouraged? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it completely puts a microscope on, I think, uh, what we've kind of gotten used to with professional wrestling, specifically maybe WWE's version of professional wrestling and how much it plays off of stereotypes, you know, throughout throughout its history. Um, when you're talking about a company that's trying to maybe, you know, become like a Marvel or become, um, I don't know, like something mainstream, that probably doesn't fly. And these sort of headlines and these sort of like uh, ideas that are now kind of made public that might have been discussed whether jokingly or not in the writer's room are not going to fly whatsoever. Um, and I think that's a great thing for professional wrestling. If, if this level of scrutiny is there that much more in the writer's room, then I think it makes it that much more difficult for, you know, something like, like an Apollo Crews character to show up in the future or uh, Akira Tozawa showing up as a ninja again in the future, whether or not the, the performers themselves might, might have vouched for it. I think that, you know, the, the, the um, the, the image that, that I think it presents for the company, I don't think is one that's necessarily positive. But again, that's all kind of besides the point. And well, it's, it's part of the point, but that's not the central point here. The central point here is whether or not she can prove this person, um, what, what's her name? Uh, Abraham. Brittany Abrahams. Brittany Abrahams. Can she prove that she was dismissed for complaining about these things and that she, she was wrongfully dismissed for? You know, um, not just taking a chair, but for constantly complaining about these issues. Can she prove that? Does she have a paper trail? What, what's what's the argument? Reading, I, I read the entire lawsuit today. It's about 39 pages. And, you know, there are direct quotes in there. And I would imagine, like, she does have receipts for several of these. Now, some of these are in-person interactions that I think that's going to be harder to prove. And you are trying to prove motive here. Um, mm-hmm. if, if this is as clear cut as it is, she was let go after taking a chair that certainly strengthens her argument that that's a pretty flimsy reasoning. Now, WWE is probably going to have their response to this. And I'm sure that these writers are going to have some kind of r- response to this as well. This is, this is her experience, uh, in, in this company and whether that, uh, culture exists or not. I mean, it's, it's certainly that this paints a pretty, brutal picture of some of these ideas but i'm going back only several years ago to 
a card in Saudi Arabia where we had the Davari brothers coming in to represent Iran. Like this is like, that's a horrendous idea that if you had just read about that, you would be horrified. Well, we saw that. So, I mean, the idea that these ideas get raised in private, should we be so stunned about it when we know the history of this and just going back a few years, like we don't have to go back 20 years. We can go back a few. I, I don't think we have to go back far at all. I don't I, I, I can probably if we dig dug deep enough, like just even look back back at the past two years and, and find plenty of, of things. I feel like it's really hard to argue that professional wrestling, especially WWE programming, is completely clean of like things that are going to be perceived as like racially offensive or, you know, um, uh, culturally offensive. Um or at the it, level that are going to be um, that the audience is expecting that either. Right, like I read right. in, the, in the lawsuit about, you know, the idea of Aaliyah, the character maintaining uh-huh. her agency with these males. And it's like, I, I don't know if this is the company that is necessarily putting that at the forefront. They have made many right. inroads when it comes to their presentation of female performers. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if this is the product that is internally it, like promoting this yeah yeah and i think those things are important to discuss again because we we are consumers of it and especially uh, in the mainstream um you know light when 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 this company is is being discussed by you know uh business outlets as much as it is today um it it, it should probably take a deep look at itself and and you know be be a lot more um careful about these sort of things these sort of storylines but getting back to this to the lawsuit it's not the WWE, as distasteful as a lot of these gimmicks have been, as distasteful as maybe the what the Davari brothers had to go through in Saudi Arabia, those things aren't illegal. Those things aren't going to necessarily, you know, I don't know, um, make them have to pay Brittany Abra- Abrahams for, you know, whatever she, she's suing for. Can she prove that she was wrongfully dismissed? That's That's the key focus here. Yeah, and you're right, and you keep bringing it back to that, and that is what she is being set out to do. And listen, I, I can certainly read some of these, and and you can shake your head at them. I also look at, like, this is a creative environment, and you also need to have the certain space to have wild ideas that are going to be thrown out there. Now, I think there is a distinct line when you are going into utter racism, other like uh, homophobia, mm-hmm. transphobia. I think you get, you certainly need to be able to draw those those parameters. But again, this is a company that we have seen examples of lots of that make it onto screen. So what is the message that these writers are being informed of, of like what is what is being encouraged that my ideas are going to make it onto the screen? And that's going to be, I think, a very difficult argument to prove here. Like, yes, is this in bad taste? That's not what the case is going to be about of whether this is in good or bad taste. It is mm. going to be if she was singled out as a black woman um, that we're speaking it, up against her dissatisfaction with a lot of this potentially offensive uh, creative. Yeah. And there are witnesses listed here. I would think this is going to be a test of the Endeavor owned WWE. I mean, the sale is or the merger is not completed yet, but. You know, historically, and there have been some significant exceptions, WWE fights a lot of these suits. Now, is this one that they want to see a Rolodex of all these angles that have been on television and seeing that loop of Vince McMahon using the N-word? And do they want that constantly as this 
this this is the kind of story that I mean you can get traction from because of just the nature of it and how much uh, footage is at your disposal to paint this company and do mm-hmm. they want that kind of light or do they want this to just go away and find a quiet settlement to make this disappear and internally maybe they you know have maybe a a, a reexamination of the protocols of their, their writers and I, I mean. Maybe so, maybe not. But I don't think this is something they want to linger and have all of the, the this attention on poor taste angles because right. there are a lot of them they can go through and they're easily accessible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I maybe what's interesting for that discussion is um, well, how how um involved will Endeavor be? How involved would an will it, would an Aria manual be with, with a case like this? Or is Vince still in charge here? Because I think we all know how Vince would react to something like this. I feel like Vince would fight it, you know, just just for his own ego. But that that's just speculation, of course. Is it, are things different now though? Because he has somebody overlooking him. I mean, it's again, this merger is not complete, but even once it is, it's, it's sort of Nick Khan is the president and Vince McMahon is on top of him. So ultimately, this would still be a Vince McMahon call of how combative uh, you, you would want to be versus the perception of your company at a time when things are delicate. And I don't know if you want to just have this ty- type of attention on your company, but I'm curious to see how much attention uh, a suit like this gets. <laughs> After what Vince just managed to escape, I I get the sense the man probably feels more bulletproof than he's ever had. He ever has. But hey, things are a little bit different now. So yeah, we'll see. Let's see what becomes of this. Yes, she is. Uh, she is seeking a trial and uh, looking for 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 damages uh, as well. We will see if it, it can make it uh, that far. D- do you feel that this is one that uh, could go far, or is this one that how much? I mean, that how much. <laughs> Um, money does Brittany Abrahams have to fight a WWE? Um, that I think that's a, that's one of the big questions as well. Um, I'm I'm sensing this this might not go that far. Is is my sense at the moment? Well, we will uh, continue to follow this. Um, she is being uh, represented by the Cochran firm, which actually is connected to the late Johnny Cochran. So um, wow. I- interesting to know, like what. You know, sometimes if you are, um, you know, if a legal firm is taking them on and, you know, it's a contingency at the at the end of things, um, maybe maybe she has the desire to go further or maybe not. This is obviously you go against the WWE can be very, very costly. Another interesting aspect of it is, I mean, I was a little surprised to see some of the writers attached to it all. Like, what does this open up, you know, for future, I guess, uh, employees of the company? Are they uh, making themselves uh, liable to future lawsuits? Um, What does it mean for other writers or employees of the company that have been fired in the past? You know, if 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 this becomes a successful lawsuit, I mean, think of the writers that have been through that company, like hundreds of writers over the last 20, 25 years. And imagine Mm -hmm. the ideas that have been thrown out there the the culture of the place i mean it it can certainly i I focus a lot on this because it it could certainly open up pandora's box for many of these uh people to come forward and share their their own stories that i'm sure there are plenty of them and i think that's a, a large reason why wwe does not want these writers leaving the company and then being able to speak about their experiences there but i would certainly say for writers in the company of you know, when you're on a Slack channel, when you're communicating by email, 
and this goes for anybody, I would say, always treat your one-on-one communication with the idea that others could see this. And would you want this broadcast or would you want this as part of the discovery of a lawsuit? And you should always have that in mind uh, when you're sending emails and what you think is or just tweeting. between you. Or posting tweeting. on a YouTube comment section, huh? huh? So it it comes back. It comes back yes. for all of you. Well, I'm sure they can discuss all of this uh, beginning at the beginning of May because Nick Khan sent out an email to staff and is asking, well, telling everyone that they are now to return to the office five days a week. This has been something that throughout COVID, there's been a lot of remote working uh, going on in the company. So uh, after uh, three years, one month and 14 days, as Nick Khan put in the email, it's time to come back to work. We've got this giant headquarters and we've got to fill seats in it way. Look at this thing. Oh, it looks beautiful. I mean, I, I, I'd love for whenever they, they you know make a video tour of this place. It looks or whenever they do a money in the bank match in this place, huh? How about that? Boy, they picked the wrong year to book England when you've got this. I mean, could could you get a bit of a write off if you could do money in the bank in this? I I don't know yeah. how how that uh, necessarily would work, yeah. but yeah. So <laughs> you can go back and and you can work in person with Vince McMahon. I mean, what what could be a better uh, email to receive? Hmm. How how would you feel, Way? Now that you've been working at home for as long as you have. What would it be like for you to transition back to uh, work inside of an office? It'd be really, really difficult. Really difficult, John. Um, I ask you that because it's probably going through many of these employees like that. And this goes from like all these companies that are wanting people back in the office space that people have created new habits. And sometimes I guess you're looking at productivity uh, as well, and that's that's an aspect to it. But it, it's it's going to be a big adjustment if if you're someone that's been working at home for three and a half years. Well, today again, as I mentioned, I got to spend the afternoon with my son in between working, and that's that's just a a, a joy and a privilege I wouldn't have had. Um, a lot of people are understandably maybe um, debating quitting certain jobs that are asking them to come back. Um, it, it's an adjustment. They're within their rights, you know, to ask for it. A lot of companies are. Um, I'm sure they don't want to have a giant building empty all the time. But for whatever reason, they're asking people to come back. Um, I feel for them if they really don't want it. Certain aspects I do miss, though. I miss, like, you know, having uh, colleagues that I could just, like, kind of bullshit with and not do work and um, just talk to from time to time. The social aspect of it I do miss. So the productivity would be – you would drag that down. That that, that would be your – reason to go back me and brandon thurston talked about this today another aspect is that if a percentage of people are not willing to come back i mean that does feed into these inevitable cuts and that that produces it's like okay that's a lot more that's a lot painless when there's people that are voluntarily not willing to come back to the office i mean it sounds pretty cutthroat but that's there's going to be a lot of that this year i would Mm -hmm. assume pwinsider.com reporting that Impact, who are teasing a big name at their Chicago tapings uh, this weekend, it looks to be the former Naomi, Trinity Fatu, that will be uh, coming into Impact. And this is not scheduled to be a one-off, but rather starting with the company. Their shows are Friday and Saturday at Cicero Stadium. And I would state that just as I think the Knockouts division is one of the more developed women's divisions of any company at this point, it's not the it's not the 
the largest platform, but I think creatively, this is something that will be of great value to impact. Um, that was probably, um, probably an underdog when you were looking at places that you would have expected uh, Naomi to land. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. She immediately comes in to impact as maybe the biggest name within the women's division. Maybe, I mean, can you make an argument that, that she'd be the biggest name in the company um, at this point? Maybe you can argue it. I, I'm, I'm not really sure, but yeah, like it, it, it's really big for them. Um, I, I don't, I didn't necessarily know if they would be a player. Honestly, I, I would have expected her back in the WWE. Mm -hmm. um, now, what does this tell you? You know, does it tell you that AEW was not interested? Does it tell, did she maybe, you know, send feelers to New Japan and, and stardom? Um, you know, can we believe uh, reports that say that maybe they, they weren't interested in her? And, and, and what else? What, what else? There's also like financial limitations when you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, a, a stardom, for instance, of bringing somebody over for a, a big show here or there as well. And, impact is sort of in that that spot that i don't know if it's going to be most people's first choice if they have the options that exist but you do get examples like a frankie kazarian who wanted just didn't felt he was being utilized enough at AEW, went the, and has moved on to impact so i mean it's it's to me it's a, it's a, it's a really good pickup for impact I don't know if any one addition to impact is going to be a game changer for them, but mm -hmm. you also have to, I think, be somewhat realistic in what a game changing move means. I would say it, it's probably uh, a good sign that uh, the name has come out days in advance when you're teasing a major name in Chicago. And <laughs> how many people would have expected it? Well, it's like, I don't know why you would me. necessarily be teasing that. And I mean, what are you leading your fans in a direction of? Um, who else is from Chicago? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the guy wants to make amends with people in impact too. I mean, who knows? Yeah, very possible. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a big test for her in that, um, she's been good in WWE, but I don't know if she's ever escalated to that level of, you know, like one of the four horse women or like an Oscar or a Bianca Belair, where we can look at, at her body of work and say, wow, this was like a, an incredible Naomi match or an incredible Trinity Fatu match. I think she has that chance at impact wrestling with, with the roster that they have. Um, so let's see if she can gain some buzz. I think it's that much harder to gain buzz. Unfortunately, when you're a part of the impact roster, because you're, you know, like in a special cases are, are people, you know, maybe breaking through. So let's see if she can do that. How big is that ramp going to be at an impact taping for her to slide down on her knees, do that entrance? I don't know. You tell me you were at rebel recently. I, I don't know how much room there was there. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, can she get her entrance? Like how much, how much will they, you know, or, or will she do something completely new? I would I would imagine they could take certain aspects of it, but yeah, it's it's definitely like she's certainly not coming in as Naomi. I would imagine she's just going to go as Trinity, which yeah. I mean, it's a pretty seamless transition for her to make. Another transition is Dark Side of the Ring, from Tales from the Territories to the Dark Side. We are going back May thirtieth on Vice TV. They have confirmed all of the subjects for season number four. So we have got Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch, Magnum TA. Adrian Adonis, which there is um, a new book out on Adrian Adonis. I just read it. It's, it's really, really well done. And I'm imagining that's kind of going to be that book would be the basis for this episode. Doink the Clown, uh, Junkyard Dog, Marty Janetti, Bam Bam Bigelow, Abdullah the Butcher, Bash at the Beach 2000, and the Grams. 
uh, presumably Eddie Graham, Mike Graham, a very tragic story involving that family. Uh, A lot of these are tragic stories that, I mean, in some with a Magnum TA, it was a tragic end to his career, but somebody that has, you know, continued on and seems to be somebody that has, you know, this is a guy that was paralyzed at the age of 27 and you see him at shows and is always in uh, great spirits. It's not like it's a, it's a, a, a tragic end, but nonetheless, a, a life altering event that he went through. But uh, many of these Candido Adonis um, JYD Bigelow. I mean, a lot of guys that have just died young Abdullah, the butcher. I mean, a guy who's, we just saw that recent story that is essentially broke right now. And I mean, a lot of like Marty Jannetty is just going to be, uh, I don't know, uh, like that's just going to be one disaster after another, I would assume. And he's a participant in yes. the show itself. He's he, he will be interviewed. So, you know, not a lot of things are really kind of um covering somebody like a Marty Jannetty recently. So I'm I'm curious to see what the I am. But I'm also like almost like dreading, you know, to see what what the current status update is for somebody like a Marty Jannetty. I'm I'm personally really interested in the Candido and Tammy Sitch one as well, um, just because I grew up, you know, watching those people. So, yeah, yeah. Um, there's you know, how much interest would you say you have for this season? Uh, for for several of them, I'm interested to see like like an Adrian Adonis. Until I read this book, like they had not done like you, you didn't have like a real thorough examination of of Adonis's career. And he died when he was 34. It was a very sad um, set of circumstances. Like this is a guy that did, ha- did have his substance abuse issues, but after leaving the WWF, um, he was touring in Canada, and this was on the Fourth of July, and they ended up swerving allegedly to and and went off the road and it killed three people, including Adrian Adonis. So, I mean, he had two children and not a guy that has been celebrated by WWE. He's not outside of the Piper match that you see in highlights, not a guy that they have given that Hall of Fame treatment to or a a historical figure that they celebrate. So you don't really get those kinds of stories. I'm sure I'm sure the Magnum T.A., one is actually going to be a pretty inspirational one that I mm-hmm. think at least has here is a guy that um, it's not like this was the, the downfall of his life. Although you could, you could have viewed that as a tragedy instead. It's, you know, whenever I've heard this guy, it, it's a rather uplifting spirit that, that he sounds of the Graham's one is I think going to be a really heavy one because you have three generations of, of, of that family that took their own lives. And it's uh, like utterly tragic. Like Mike Graham, People forget his son took his life two years before Mike did. And so Mike had lost his father and his son, and then he kills himself. Like, it's like it's it, a horrible, horrible set of circumstances um, with, with that family. And as we're talking about all these heavy subjects, and then you have Bash at the Beach 2000 in there, which you understand for, for certain people, that will be the one that they are going to focus on because it's so recent that they lived mm-hmm. through it. And it probably means you you get your Russos and, and such. Uh, onto that. Um, also worth noting in the trailer, uh, Jim Ross and Bret Hart, who had pretty much been like not happy with their recent um, work with Dark Side of the Ring, are back and interviewed for this season. And Bret had been very close with Adrian Adonis, so I imagine he is all over that episode as well. And there's probably a handful of ones here that you could uh, weave uh, Bret into, but hmm. yeah, he is among he is among the uh, the talking heads on this. All right, May thirtieth. May 30th. So it'll be Tuesday nights right after NXT. That's going to be airing on Vice. Will Ospreay did an interview with uh, DAZN and mentioned that his contract with New Japan is up next February. So, I mean, just 
a, a timetable to watch out for for Will Osprey. And as you're seeing him and the physical toll that you know his style is taking on him, that contract is going to represent like what do I want my next five years to look like? And is it taking something with a more reduced schedule? Is that a time when he starts to cut out more uh, non? you know, wherever you sign with, like doing less of like these one PW shows and how committed he is to like a rev pro, which he, you know, pretty much works with religiously on a yearly basis. But obviously the, the natural suitors are going to be, you know, interested in a, in a Will Ospreay. And that's a very interesting time for his deal to be up when WWE theoretically, well, they will have their TV deals in place by then. And AEW is, probably going to be very aggressive you would think as well so that's that's an interesting uh period to be watching out for uh, at least at this point i don't know who else's uh contracts are up at, around that time but to me um he well is we know going- that we know the young bucks are up like around give or take around the, this area kenny omega late like there's some it- significant ones that are up yeah, if they don't resign, I, I, I suppose. But uh, you know, at this moment, I, I really feel like Osprey. My sense is that he's going to be landing a, a permanent spot in either um, an AEW or or, um, or WWE. I, I, if we're to believe his maybe sort of like health issues as of late, I like now is the time for him to make as much money as he can. And to do that, he's probably going to take a role in one of those other other companies. We'll see. He becomes, I, to me, even among the the other names, I think he becomes the hottest free agent that's available. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see. Few ratings notes. Rampage on Saturday night, they did 371,000 viewers, 0.12 in the demo. So this was outside of their normal night, 26th on cable uh, going against the NBA and the NHL. So, with these moves, you had the opposite effect a week prior where they had that great lead in by the NBA and you did one of their biggest numbers ever. And then this one, you did like the opposite. So I think these are episodes you really can't take too much and apply regarding Rampage. And I think these next two weeks are going to be similar. They're airing at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So I don't know about you, Wei, uh, but I feel like I will speak on behalf of you. It does feel like Rampage is sort of just out in the ether at this point and it's existing but it to me feels like every year when they gets bounced around it becomes tough on the show to rebound from yeah. but given the the ex- expectancy of this saturday show like rampage just does feel right now as as be a show as you could promote maybe maybe soon to be c even well, you know like think- heading towards that direction yeah um it's it, you know it, it's still relevant story like a lot of the things that we'll be talking about on dynamite was built off of a rampage story so but how important are those storylines how much do you necessarily need to watch a rampage in order to get, to get caught up for a dynamite i don't really think you have to at all and how but, much do you throw on these shows during these weeks when it's a chore for your fan just to find the show um you know, it's it's like trying to satisfy an audience while at the same time realizing that this is these are going to be lower watched uh, shows. NXT, though, on the other hand, they did a great number on Tuesday night. They did six hundred and thirty seven thousand viewers, a point one eight in the demo, 14th on cable. This was going against two NBA games and two NHL games. It was their highest 18 to 49 audience since October of last year. And this was all male viewership. Uh, because men in the key demo, their highest since October of 2021, 
Um, whereas women in the demo were actually down 16.5% this week. It was also their largest 18 to 34 audience of the year and was uh, including a 15-minute overrun segment that NXT, usually they do about a five, six-minute overrun, but it went uh, exceptionally long this week with the Indy Hartwell, Tiffany Stratton, and Roxanne Perez match. But this was a great number for NXT on a normal week. It's, it was a great number, but going against all of those playoff games um, and you know a younger male audience that seemed to inflate this number significantly. So I, I took that as a... W- women had other plans, but the men... I mean, maybe that was the Grayson Waller effect. <laughs> maybe it was, yeah. Or, or maybe it was, you know, the trunk match uh, that drew all the so people. they killed pretty deadly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, how else do you get rid of your uh, Your people? baby faces, just, they just killed them. On well, I, I, I'm assuming the pretty deadly know how to swim, and maybe they swam their way up. Are they going to show up with, like, snorkels to uh, the location of Raw next Monday? I'm, I'm thinking they, they, they swam um, pretty far, yeah. So, um, anyway, um... I, I think NXT has found like a really good formula with these sort of like branded shows in a way that AEW has, you know, uh, found similar success as well. You just promote big title matches ahead of like what feels like might be like a mini takeover level show. And listen, it'll pay off. Um, I think the big story coming out of this, the show was what happened to Indy Hardwell. Yes. Yeah. So you're watching this and the w- if I was to describe this to you, you would have just bought this as, okay, this is like uh, Terry Funk coming back in the uh, the real world tag league, like injury midway through the match. The underdog is going to be out and then she guts her way back to the ring. So this moonsault she took, her ankle like f- like got wrapped on the floor and it looked so nasty and she it, is taken it, to the back. It, it was not as bad as the Dante Martin one, but that was the immediate thing that everybody was thinking. It, it, yeah. it was similar in the, in that sense. Yeah. So, and you, it brought me back to the Dante Martin injury and you've got her taken to the back and then she hobbles her way back to the ring and finishes the match. And she is not doing traditional pro wrestling selling. It's not like, Tiffany Stratton's working the ankle or and there was not much of a match afterwards no it was they were certainly just we got to get to the finish and obviously Indy was was booked to win this match and they it was just sort of a gutsy effort to get to the end of the match which again you're looking at you know just they will celebrate look look Cody just had a Wrestlemania run because of his you know gutsy performance and that's it you you hope she didn't do any more damage than what was initially done here because she was on one leg for the second half of of this match and it's not as though she just got to the ring and they just went right to the finish like they did go for several minutes she's like delivering like like big boots like with the injured foot even so I mean I number one I can completely understand, you know, you're somebody who's just been given the championship. It's your first title defense. And you're like, if you don't go back to do the finish, then you lose the championship, you know, and, and, and and she was going to do anything. I'm sure, you know, if she was going to be cleared to finish the match, I I, I guess I just, man, I I just watch it and I'm like, does it set great precedents? You know, does it, does it teach a great lesson for people to, to do this? It's the professional wrestling thing. It's been done. And, you know, she's really kind of made a career moment out of it. So I, I don't even, I don't know if it's something we can ever change about professional wrestling. This is no, it's, I would certainly have a much stronger stance if we're talking like the fact is she would not have been coming back if it was a neck or a concussion or something, something of that level. You're hoping that this ankle injury, hopefully it's not any, any worse 
Um, mm. And that the fact she could even do this part, you're hoping it's it's not significant, but we have not heard the exact uh, diagnosis of this. But yeah, I mean, it's something that they should play up and they certainly oh, were course. doing it on social media. Like you had Dijak staying, like he was right next to her in the medical area as she was getting worked on and came back. But you watch this knowing like the real circumstances and it was, it was quite the effort here by Indy Hartwell. And a, a hell of a test for Tiffany Stratton and Roxanne Perez going out yes. there and basically having to improvise a whole lot of it on live TV without, you know, uh, one of the main, the, the finish really in ring with them. So a huge, I mean, if we're talking about NXT and looking at it as developmental, as a way to get somebody like a t- Tiffany Stratton, a lot of real world experience, she got a handful of it, maybe more than, you know, they anticipated. And, but And I don't know this for a fact, but maybe that did play into why they had such a long overrun of 15 minutes as, as well. Hmm. Um, like, yeah. It wouldn't have surprised me. Um, Carmelo Hayes and Grayson Waller. Um, I thought they had a really strong match, um, including that that spot into the stunner when Waller caught him. The ending was a little weird because it looked as though Waller was like kind of just off for the pinfall. And you almost thought he was like getting his shoulder up for the three count. But it was not played up like that. So I, I'm hoping there wasn't any issue there. But it was mm. it was just a little wonky for the finish. Um and hopefully there was no issue there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had as well yet another uh, phantom attack, this time to Sol Ruka that they showed uh, in the back. Uh, I did have two people inform me that it is a legitimate injury that Sol Ruka has. And typically when they do these um, phantom parking lot or backstage attacks, it usually means they're going to be gone for a lengthier time. But I don't know what the exact injury is or how long she's going to be out, but I was told by multiple people it is uh, an actual injury that Sol Ruka has, which makes sense given how they did it, which is obviously too bad, but she is gaining a lot of momentum. And you can see the just the improvements she's made from her first match on television to where she is now, and she has so much more room to grow as well. Uh, I mm-hmm. could certainly see her being someone, when she comes back from this in 18 months or so being like a real big standout on this brand. Like she has a a ton of athleticism and when it all clicks, she could be something very special. You do you, are are you just saying 18 months? Like as an, like what, just a random number or do you have the sense that it's that serious of it? No, no, no. I mean, just when, when she comes back, like 18 months from that point of just consistently working, nothing to do with the, the injury. I see. Um, I I think she's accomplished enough buzz just in the short time amount of, uh, short amount of time she's had on, on the roster thus far where, um, her return will be anticipated, you know, and, and it might possibly make her that much of a bigger star. So hopefully in this time off, she can obviously rehab, but also work on the promo, work on the character, work on everything else. And uh, and Raw, by the way, it, it was pretty much the same from last week. One million eight hundred and fifteen thousand viewers, the exact same as last week. Point five six in the demo, which was down three uh, percent against the NBA and NHL as well. They were down in 18 to 34 and. Still, looking at one year ago, they were up 12.5% in viewers, up 28% in 18 to 49, and up 49% in 18 to 34. And that was just going against the NBA playoffs. So uh, they're in less homes this year on USA, and they had the NHL going against them on top of that. So these are holding up really, really well in comparison to a year ago when they were going against the playoffs. Today on our official interview show, Tonnage with 
John Pollock and Brandon Thurston. Uh, we were joined by Pat Crakes and Pat Crakes, a very, um, very, very accomplished individual in the world of sports media. He was an executive uh, that w- rose up the ranks at Fox Sports and at one time was a um, uh, programming executive and in the rooms for a lot of these negotiations and was a great interview to speak about the whole television media industry. So we're just going to play a short clip of that interview that Brandon and I did. And this was him talking about the UFC coming to Fox in 2012 uh, when he was there, how the brand was perceived and seeing that growth. Because remember, it was during the Fox era that Ronda comes up, that Conor McGregor comes up and where the UFC was um, by, by the time that Fox deal matured. The UFC was a great investment um, when Fox partnered with them. Eric had developed, Eric Shanks had developed that relationship when he was at DirecTV. He brought it over with him, and it was a very successful partnership. It was one of the key cornerstones of being able to turn speed into Fox Sports 1, which was a multi-billion dollar valuation exercise for, for 21st Century Fox, 21CF at that time, now Fox. And so, um, you know, we we believed and saw the value. Um, But, you know, we were strictly licensing the content. And I think one of the things that ESPN was able to do that that Fox wasn't able to do was that they were able to offer, um, though Fox did try to look at this and tried to figure out a way to do this. They, they, with ESPN Plus, they were able to put together a successful way to air pay-per-views, pay a large enough license fee to Endeavor in the UFC that, that meant that the UFC could take the risk of operating individual live events off the table for themselves, which they were still doing when they were at Fox. And they could focus in on simply running the business, right? ESPN pays them a license fee and accepts kind of the risk on the pay-per-views. And then the UFC on, uh, participates on the upside over a certain threshold. And that is a great model. And if you listen to anything Ari says, he always talks about stable cash flows, and that's a stable cash flow. So, um, you know, the UFC was able well, – that was always possible for somebody to monetize with UFC. ESPN figured out how to do it. It really basically gave ESPN Plus a reason to exist in the early years of that deal. So that whole interview with uh, Patrick Craigs is up on the uh, the Post YouTube channel as well as the WrestleNomics uh, channel. So you can uh, grab it uh, from either of those feeds. And we spent about uh, 45 minutes talking with him about all of the upcoming television rights negotiations and a heavy emphasis on the WWE, UFC, and AEW. So stable cash flow way. That's what you want to mature into. I think that's what we all want, right? Stable cash flow. Yeah. But that's a really interesting clip, John. You know, like, could could you see a WWE being, like, could that be a goal of theirs? That uh, a, a deal similar to what the UFC has with ESPN? Yes. Yes. I think more and more, I think that that, you look at the Endeavor playbook and stable cash flow. Like, that UFC deal with ESPN Plus, it took away all of the erratic nature of fights falling out on pay-per-views and we've got to get this guy, uh, we got to save this card with a big main event. It's like when you're guaranteed what you're going to get every month, it gives you a lot of, it gives you a lot of uh, extra sleep at night to know that your pay-per-view revenue is going to be guaranteed every month. And it's something that uh, has worked. WWE already has it, already has that, but maybe just not to the degree. They have it to, to that sense, but when when you look at what how much more valuable would they be to an ESPN Plus or any of these when it comes to the guaranteed money, but 
the broad the streamer can also monetize these shows with with a pay-per-view component like WWE is not taking on any of that risk. The streamer is, and our rights are that much more important and we can get a, a, an increase on them. So that is what I could certainly see WWE looking towards and seeing the success of the UFC model and wanting to replicate it. Like think about mm-hmm. where like some of these shows this year from the rumble, that big card in Montreal, WrestleMania without uh, goes without saying, and the show in Puerto Rico alone, Like they have done a great job this year of making each event feel like a big event. There has not been a just a nothing happening pay-per-view. That's just our obligation to put a show on because it's the month of February. Like everyone this year has felt big. And at least in the case of Puerto Rico, in the case of uh, that Clash of the Castle show, they've done a great job of getting paid to put on those shows too. You add the site fees in there. Like that's, you know, they are finding whatever revenue that they can, they can monitor one final thing. And then we will get there. Uh, we wanted to uh, make mention of one of our, our dear close friends, Dan, the mouth Lavransky, who is retiring this year after nearly 25 years in the wrestling radio space, retiring from wrestling radio. Yes. Still going to do uh, his, his uh, uh, music show, but yeah. CIUT.FM will still be the home of Dan Lebransky on Tuesday afternoons. Uh, but Dan Lebransky is uh, wrapping things up uh, with the Sunday night's main event crew. He will be doing his final show this week. And uh, Dan Lebransky is one of my uh, closest friends and someone that I have known for um, of those uh, 24 years that he has been uh, doing this. I have known him for, I believe, 23 of them, uh, as I recall. Wow. I mean, I'm probably not that far off from you, but even beyond that, I mean, I started my whole journey into even this side of professional wrestling by listening to Dane and Jeff, you know, and, and Donnie Abreu, like in the very early days of the law. So um, this is like a bit of a, you know, big journey just for me too, you know, cause he's somebody I, I've looked up to for a long time, somebody I'm very privileged to consider a friend uh, at this point myself. So yeah. Um, hey man, enjoy the retired life. Sitting out there, listening to the records in a Hawaiian shirt. Well, I, I will I will tell you, Way, that I uh, was in contact with one Dan Lebransky, and I invited him to your backyard. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. Well, perfect. I, I volunteered I, your backyard, and he is in. So You are more than welcome to at any point. Maybe we'll even try some smoothie recipes. Ooh, I can't wait. My smoothie game has been I, I am now gonna send away my uh my I, I might start TikTok just for smoothies, to be quite honest. There will be no wrestling content on there. I'm just gonna do a smoothie TikTok channel. I would create a personal TikTok just to sign up for your smoothie. I'm pretty good at them. To be honest, like yeah. I look at them now and it's like I, I I found my groove. You send like like you're it's not just like simple frozen fruits and in a you know, like a coconut milk base here. Like, can I share a photo photo, John? Go for it. Um like you're 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 doing like you know uh, vanilla extract or like I don't I don't know what what you call this stuff but like you're putting on like uh, uh what is this the the brown stuff you put on what is it uh oh granola granola yeah, yeah. like it's you oh, I'm not getting this to work anyway not so smooth was it <laughs> hey if you want to hear us talk about smoothies. <laughs> Which tomorrow <laughs> talk Thursday post wrestling cafe. We are going to spend a lot of time. Uh, look at this photo. How did you find this one? Was this, was this when we did this the other day? Oh, I just made it. Oh yeah. my God. I mm-hmm. was telling way about my, uh, my exercise routine and he just laughed at me. So, uh, <laughs> this is going to be coming out on Thursday for all cafe members. Uh, 
talk, something we do way too much of because we're almost an hour in and I believe we have a dynamite to talk about. So anyway, uh, everyone check out Dan Lebransky this week and uh, we will check be oh, look at a beautiful smoothie. Dude, look, that's look at that's this. like Ooh. that's a professional looking smoothie. What's okay. in this again? What's in this again? That is a uh, I believe that is chocolate granola it's either chocolate or blueberry mm. i think that's the chocolate yeah then this Yummy. is a this is a banana smoothie um with oh, i can't remember banana, I, I, I pineapple I, yogurt ba- banana extract. pineapple yes beautiful wow a great combination everything goes with banana that's my rule yeah yeah it does and everything goes well in sunrise florida i don't know they were at the fla live arena on wednesday night kicking things off orange cassidy and bandito for the aew international championship so i was expecting like we might get like a let's be let's be realistic a match of the month that's what i was expecting uh, out of this match it was a very good match but this was more of a story match in that orange cassidy has been beaten down so much and he is wearing the effects of that and we we got a lot of lucha stuff but between them and they're going over the uh the backgrounds of each and Cassidy is relying a lot on kind of his his weak offense at one point as Bandito puts up his guns uh Orange Cassidy places his hands into his own pockets and we get into some dives from Bandito go through the break and Orange Cassidy is delivering these lazy chops and they explain that's protecting his hand uh, Bandito does his strength spots with the delayed vertical, the one arm military press, and then he escapes the mouse trap, which they know nobody has been able to do that yet. And a pop up by Orange Cassidy comes down with the orange punch, follows with the beach break and gets him in 15 minutes and 17 seconds. Taz explains he doesn't think Orange Cassidy is 100%, but this is his 20th defense of the international title, second only to Jade Cargill when it comes to title defenses in AEW. I thought this was a good match, but to me, it, it did not reach was what I was expecting, which was definitely high, but I was uh, I was left wanting in this one. I guess I could see expectations being pretty damn high. You know, like if we're talking about match of the year at this point, John, like it's I said match of the month, match of the month. Oh, match That's of the month. Gotcha. Well, even that, you know, it's been a pretty strong month. Um, we're talking here, you know, for, for April. I, I thought it was a very good match and I think incredibly like um, worthy of this Orange Cassidy international title run. Uh, it's a it's a bit bit of a mouthful. Um, he continues, I think, what, what's been a like he's the best champion that AEW has, and I think commentary is kind of pushing him as that as well. Yes, like Jade Cargill has been a longer reigning champion, but I, they are basically pushing Orange Cassidy as the guy who's defended the most and um, the guy who's putting on like the most consistently great tv matches um and it helps that he has incredible you know partners like like a bandito here who always manages to i think create a memory in audiences minds with like some incredible power moves um so i thought this was like a great reintroduction to bandito for the aw audience here and it seems like they'll be continuing this association with orange cassidy you know what he needs to call his delayed vertical now what his visa (laughs) Uh, very good few guys could, with, could use that maybe pack and um i don't know i don't know what's going on with pack uh. renee is with adam cole and the audio cuts out so we don't even get renee's question but cole's pissed he wants to call out chris jericho tonight and if he doesn't come out he's gonna find him so then orange cassidy walks in with bandito and says you want to interview me and renee says well i was actually interviewing adam cole and she explains everything that went down last week with cole and baker and jericho and he just responds oh 
and walks off. And then Bandito does the exact same and they leave. And you think it's just some cute like line, but there was actually a reason for this that would be uh, revealed later on. This is about as much of a, hey, let's be friends, you know, interaction with Orange Cassidy as you need. Uh, for Orange Cassidy, it was really kind of the perfect promo, you know, and I'm and really a happy- reason to help Adam Cole, who he had this pretty lengthy program with that was brought up in the main event that mm. sometimes we forget about these programs because they come and go. But I like when they draw back to that. And here was a reason for Orange Cassidy to have a reason to befriend Adam Cole and come to his aid later. Mm. I'm personally happy that like, hey, like we've had a lot of guys, especially like the luchadors who come in, look amazing, and then you know, they might get even a standing ovation but then they're just forgotten about for the next few weeks. It looks like we're actually getting something with Bandito, at least, you know, as odd of a pairing as he is with Orange Cassidy. Maybe that's what will make it work, so I hope I hope this sticks. Then Renee interviews Jungle Boy and Darby Allen, and Darby explains maybe they went a little too far last week verbally, and if he knew what was going to happen to Jungle Boy, he wouldn't have been up in the rafters last week because it was crap what happened to you, and he suspects that they're going to pull the same stuff on him tonight and asks Jungle Boy to watch his back. Jungle Boy agrees they went too far. We might never be best friends, but he wishes it could be the two of them tonight, to which Darby says, yeah, and if it was, I would have beaten you again. A reference to their match on April 21st, 2021. You remember that one? I do not remember that one. I'm sure it was pretty good. He also says, see you out there. He says, see you out there. And then Jungle Boy never came out to watch his back. Mm-hmm. I mean, he put it, this was like, um, this was like someone else that we've been talking about. Everything seems to be, they're on the same page temporarily. And then it's just one little thing that happens that, uh, sets them off and jungle so what, boy, what was the problem here was it miscommunication or was jungle boy being um deliberately sort of vague jungle boy was willing to help him and then you got to get in this dick line at the end you got to get in the last word it's like i'm not helping you why uh, okay you're right like I, I wouldn't have helped this guy either he's like oh you got to get a dig in about how you, how i beat you yeah so he was committed to going out there and then darby said that line i mean i always took it almost as just more like friendly almost kind of like flirting you know like I didn't take any offense to it. You know, I thought, the, uh, who's in the wrong here? Was it Jungle Boy or Darby Allen? See, you're a guy with thick skin, not me. I, okay. like I would come out and help you, even if you said something like that. Well, that's nice. Dax Harwood and Jeff Jarrett. This was the match all week long. Way Way was just texting me about it. I was like, I can't wait. And I'm going to say, like, they aired in picture in picture, like, these highlights of FTR and the Briscoes. And it was, like, really sad to see, to be just watching, like, Jay Briscoe here in action. It, it had, like, the feel mm-hmm. of, like, this was so recent, and it was so recent. It was. And you're just watching yeah. the, these these highlights and mm-hmm. um, just seeing all of, like, you know, these these career highlights that the, these, these four had over the course of this year. Yeah. It's almost some – it almost – I, maybe part of it for me at least is because like Mark Briscoe has transitioned and he's seemed to deal with it so well that it almost feels like a lot more time has passed than, than, than actually has. But you're right. Like it's, you know, like we're, we're only a few months. That match, that last match was December. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we uh, sing lethal and Dutt as well as cash Wheeler. They're barred from ringside. So we're getting a one-on-one match and this Early on, they had like one like messed up spot where they missed a shoulder block. Like they made no contact, but then Dax still went down from it. And it was just a an odd like miscommunication that they had. But then they got back into the match. And this was just like 
a very basic match where Jarrett was constantly going for the knee of Dax and Dax would evade the figure four and then he would chop the hell out of Jeff Jarrett. This guy took so many chops in this match. Dax can't get the sharpshooter. Then Dax stops the stroke. He hits a pile driver and then they fight on the floor, more chops to Jarrett. And then Jarrett is going back to the figure four. One of them is countered into an inside cradle. And then as Dax lifts him up for a vertical suplex, Sanjay Dutt appears from underneath the ring, pulling down Dax's leg. It's the Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior finish. But this time, Dax kicks out and then chases Dutt around the ring. And as he runs in, he gets hit by the stroke and Jarrett pins him in 11 minutes and 12 seconds. Dutt hands Jarrett the tag title. He kisses the belt, wears it around his neck. And it would seem that Jarrett and Lethal will be going for these tag belts. Yeah, it seems like it. You know, so that booking, I think, is logical. I I guess um, I kind of wish it was lethal. That was the one that was, you know, picking up the victory instead of Jeff Jarrett here, because ultimately, like, we are still talking about a 55 year old Jeff Jarrett who's moving incredibly well, by the way. You know, I hope I move that well at 55. Um, But still, like Dax Harwood, you know, as a singles competitor was pretty up there. And yes, I know there were shenanigans involved. I, I still wouldn't have done it personally i also don't think the distraction finish at the end was was done in a very creative way either so um again like grading this match on a curve with a 55 year old i i thought jared looked you know pretty decent in there but um uh, uh, you know like should we be grading grading on a curve i guess when you're watching dynamite it was it was fine like it's not one of those like standout dax singles performances that that we got but Mm -hmm. it was was it a standout jeff Jarrett performance um, I'll, I'll say, I'll say it was a, a, it was a very nice professional match minus that, that weird shoulder block issue. Tony Khan's announcement is that the opening ceremonies of the Owen Hart cup will take place at double or nothing. So I don't know if that is going to mean people from different countries are going to be marched into the stadium and they're going to have a, someone carrying the flag for the team in their track suits. And then the tournament is going to be held. All the matches will be in Canada. Uh, Hence, all of these Canadian dates, including Forbidden Door in Toronto. And then the finals will be at the Saddle Dome in Calgary on July 15th, which is a Saturday. And this would be Mm. about as close to a confirmation that I don't think these finals will be taking place uh, at a live house show. You don't think so? I think Hmm. there will be a way to watch this on that Saturday in Calgary. Hmm. Okay. I think that's a nice little tie-in, you know, maybe that some of us might have kind of put together, but um, I I wasn't necessarily thinking about the Owen Hart um, tournament yet, but I think it's wonderful, you know, to have that atmosphere for a Calgary and to just do the rest. I mean, they were also making mention of Owen's connection to New Japan Pro Wrestling, so... And and they had footage of it, too, in this announcement. Yeah, and and so it it adds a bit of extra significance for having the ceremony at Forbidden Door. I'm curious to know what the ceremony is. I I think they should parade all the participants out, you know, do the whole... Like, hey, like, here's who who we're going to feature. Would the the ultimate guy to land though is Bret Hart on commentary? This I don't think it's happening. Like, I, I don't know what's what's the latest with her, with him and Martha. Like, um, it. I mean, it's, it's complicated. They certainly have their their odds. Um, mm. there, there's also the the deal of like Bret's like legends deal with with WWE as well. That would likely prevent mm. such a scenario. Providing that that's still intact and 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 such. On the scale of um, Tony Khan and announcements, do you think this one was justified? See, they promoted it as we're going to hear from Tony Khan. Oh, okay, okay. So this, this is not, was not a, a major now. announcement from Tony Khan. So, in in gotcha. fairness, they did temper the wording here. Uh, okay. I mean, this 
you're gonna make announcements on your on your shows like it's just this is a part of wrestling i don't know if they always need to be promoted though you know no it's you're getting a lot of the times they work though so they 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 go to that well a lot wardlow and arn anderson uh wardlow destroyed ariel levy in a minute 34 so one of the wrinkles now to wardlow is that before he hits the big wind-up lariat he uses the glock signal to set it up and Mm -hmm. then he killed this guy with power bombs and this was back to the old audience reactions for wardlow they're chanting one more time and they also add in these cutaways to arn who's just looking horrified at what this monster is doing and he wins in 94 seconds and arn gets on the mic which is already a, a great uh, a great segment jesus christ young man have an ice bath and go have a 12 pack he informs ariel and he calls the two of them beauty and the beast and he's figured out who's who in the dressing room and tomorrow is the draft. And he quickly clarifies the NFL draft. And who, who, who is the beauty and who is the beast here? Well, Arn's clearly the beauty and right, okay, Wardlow's the course. beast. Mm. And explains how you take a pick and that person can turn you into a dynasty. And that's what Wardlow is. No one in AEW can do what he does. He can put AEW on his shoulders and take AEW into the next millennium. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Arn thinks he was he's still on nitro <laughs> that's a long time the next millennium wardlow's just getting started i mean i know he's i think he's young i don't even know how old he is but i can he can he live for a thousand years yes no yeah. yeah we'll see the next millennium <laughs> man forget we're gonna get y3j uh, at this rate sure i'm sure he'll still be having great matches then so but arn explains that for wardlow to be with him sometimes you're gonna have to yank a guy's eye out bite a thumb off or crack him over the head with a chair and with that christian and luchasaurus walk out and cage walks up the steps but then backs off no words are exchanged but we are looking to go in the direction of luchasaurus and wardlow but more importantly we are going to get a mic off between arn and christian at some point and that, to me, you could put that on the pay-per-view. High hopes for that, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm um, I'm hoping Wardlow, like, changes things up a bit. Maybe, yeah, maybe gouge, gouge some eyeballs or something. Um, It was kind of maybe nice this week to have a bit of a rewind back to his, you know, just squash match days. But this is a run. This is like his third time with the championship. And I think he really has to show this time around a new wrinkle to his game that could get people excited about, you know, seeing this guy move ahead. Week one, I liked it with Arn. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I like this this change up of things. Renee speaks to Guevara and MJF, and they, the two kiss each other on the forehead. They are best friends, and they bring up all the complaints people have, how they're ruining the sanctity of the sport with Guevara agreeing to lay down at double or nothing. But they don't care, and they each got themselves presents. Uh, there is a matching vest for MJF and a Burberry scarf for Sammy Guevara as they hug. And then RJ City gets mauled by the BCC as Moxley promises scars are going to be left on dynamite tonight. It was as though Moxley heard Cody on Monday about pick a spot, leave a scar Brock and Moxley was ready and he was going to inflict a scar. And he did. I hope RJ city didn't get a scar here. Well, last time they did one of these attacks backstage, it didn't end so well for uh, they did scar somebody pretty hard. Yeah. Well, there'll be a, Hey, W with John Moxley at some point. I have to think so. Come on. That's a long-term one. 
Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara, the middle of the show, and MGF comes out with his own brand of pickles that he ate. Yeah, he was like really promoting these pickles at the press conference um, when he won the championship. So every every champion gets the food, of course. You know, what would you um, more likely buy, a wrestler's champagne or a wrestler's pickles? For me, it'd probably be the pickles. Actually, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't have much use for champagne. I'd probably um, just save my money. <laughs> but this guy has to know that there is an absolute irritation to hearing somebody speak while eating at the same time. Because it's oh, yeah. just the most repulsive trait somebody can can do on a broadcast. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's it's among them. I I know you have a special sort of you know peeve about it all. It's gross. I just I can't I can't handle it. He's got to know this. What I can't really handle is passing a pickle jar around and having somebody dig with their bare hands into the pickles, which is what Taz had to do here, dude. You know, there was after all of this. Taz is still holding that pickle like he's been working on it for like 20 minutes or something. Like Hard to call a match while eating a whole pickle, though. You, uh, know, you can't like, really take a break to finish it. I guess not. So they're having their match, and Guevara ends up hitting a low blow behind Paul Turner's back and then leaps into a top rope, Asai Moonsault. They go through the break. Uh, Darby stops the three amigos. And then there's a crazy tope by Darby caught by a cutter by Guevara on the floor, which looked fantastic. And stupid me, I'm like, that is the craziest thing they're going to do in this match. And then Sammy brings out a table and Sammy is placed on the table. Ty Mello runs down to distract Darby. And this allows Sammy to run back in one man Spanish fly. And he places Darby on the table and he hits the most picture perfect 630 off the top through this table on the floor to Darby utter insanity it's crazy yeah um i, I won't remember it unfortunately <laughs> like a week from now and that's just unfortunate <laughs> like the, the point where we're at we're like this should be in the show open shit like something like this you know i i, I years ago i would have been talking about like you know, for the rest of my life but imagine I, mick foley did this at hell in a cell oh my god are you kidding me yeah but now it's just like it's it, it's so commonplace and then uh Darby beats the count and this prompts MJF to come down and he throws the skateboard to Darby and behind the referee's back, Guevara takes the Eddie Guerrero bump and Paul Turner turns around, spots him with the skateboard. And then Paul Turner calls for a DQ. Paul Turner calls for a DQ. (laughs) God, this is what's next. Rick Knox. Uh, successfully count someone out maybe red 12 minutes next. 47 seconds and i think everyone knows now where this is going with the, these yeah. finishes and mjf attacks darby goes to use the ring when jungle boy finally makes his way down and clears the ring with a chair and mjf cuts a promo on jungle boy and tells darby that he can now use his tears to pleasure himself while listening to my chemical romance because you two are going back to the undercard because you suck and that led to tony Schiavone getting his big moment on the mic Listen up, you prick. And Tony Khan has says Sammy Guevara has earned the title shot at double or nothing, but he might not be the only one. So we are going to have a tag match next week. And if MJF and Sammy Guevara win, they will face each other at double or nothing. But if Jungle Boy and Darby Allen win, it will be a four pillars match at double or nothing. Yes. So I think we're getting the four pillars match, John. You Um, think? Well, who knows? I don't know. 
Could be. Maybe, could. They, maybe they have another finish for in, in store for us. Maybe, maybe somebody will screw somebody again, um, and then we'll lead to somehow nine people in, in the match. I don't know. I haven't been like I like the way they were starting this, like the first phase of yeah. the, the different promos, and then we're building up wins. I haven't been down for the detour. No, everything after the opening segment, and you know, to some people, maybe even the opening segment last week, I think has been just it, it's weird. Like it, it's it, it feels like adaptation. The movie, like you know, the Nicolas Cage movie. Mm, yes. So like the first portion until like the final act is like one one movie, and then the, the the third act is completely different. Kind of feels like that in tone. Like it's been a real shift in tone, in my opinion. Where they were basing a lot of these rivalries based off of realism. Guys like you know coming out, cutting their promos on NGF, even up until last week cutting promos on each other and then all of a sudden we just kind of get into this overly gimmicky you know uh, like thing with this tournament that was always meant to be a fake out uh this sort of money relationship with mjf and sammy that i think is way too cartoony for a main event level like story this is theoretically your main event heading into this pay-per-view um I, I I think it's for me de- derailed this entire thing a little bit. It's a pretty convoluted way, in my opinion, just to stretch out these, you know, programs until you get to the pay-per-view. There's almost no suspense whatsoever for the outcome of the match next week. Um, so I have not been a fan of these couple weeks. Backstage, MJF and Sammy Guevara are going to leave and MJF's pissed about Tony Khan playing games ever since he won the belt and makes a line that wherever I go, the triple B goes and he goes to his uh, truck and it's empty, but he tells Sammy it's full when Sammy goes to join him in the, in the car. So MJF takes off by himself. Adam Cole is out. He says Jericho has crossed a line that he can't come back from. He wants to hurt him and mentions uh, Britt Baker and then Jericho's music plays, but he appears on the screen and he won't go anywhere near Adam Cole who allowed the love of his life to get beaten right in front of him. And Adam, you did nothing to stop it. Adam Cole, you're a coward, but my guys will take care of you. So he sends out the JAS, and it's a four-on-one attack. Orange Cassidy and Bandito come out, and the jung- the JAS still have the advantage when all of a sudden Roderick Strong makes his AEW debut running down and evens things up, and he clears house. Cole and Strong hug to a big pop, and they... They bring up the history here between Adam Cole and Orange Cassidy as he's watching on and Tony Khan making the announcement that Roderick Strong is all elite. Yes, he is. This one was a surprise. I think yeah. almost to everybody, you know, um, I hasn't he, wrestled since last summer. Yeah. Um, word hadn't really, you know, come out that he had received his release from the WWE. Um, he was not somebody that I think people have been buzzing about as a free agent because I don't think anybody knew about the status of his free agency. So he was not a name like this was like a very legitimate surprise. I'm sure mm-hmm. for everyone. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kept very quiet. So, um, so so again, what does it tell you? You know, like what? Um, you think the guy just asked, or do you think he, maybe contract lapse? Like, w- I guess we don't know. We'll, we'll find out eventually. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you like this addition for Roderick Strong? I mean, it's um, yeah. You know, it's it's it was like for a while, like the missing piece of the undisputed era, but it's uh, the disputed era at the point at this point. At the moment, but I mean, um, Kyle will be back at some point. But Kyle Bobby will Fish be, is probably not back. Probably, yeah. Um, and I I think you could still promote an undisputed era with just the three of them minus Bobby Fish. Um, 
I don't know how much of the audience will be complaining, unfortunately, at this point. Listen, like there are a lot of people in AEW. They're signing guys like every single week. Do you remember uh, Jay White, um, you know, made his debut um, a couple weeks weeks ago, John? Uh, Who else? Uh, Commander. (laughs) Like there are a lot of guys on this roster and that continues to be maybe a, a question of whether or not they have enough space for everybody. But I think Roderick Strong is a great fit. I, th- I think he's one, you know, you absolutely should sign because of the the many. Number one, he's an incredible wrestler. I think he's become a, like a, a, a decent promo, like in the time that he's spent in, in the performance center as well. But you have so many connections on this roster that you could tell stories with with Rod- Roderick Strong. Of course, you know, Adam Cole, future trios match with the Undisputed Era when Kyle returns. Marina Shafir, of course, you know, maybe something with Stokely Hathaway. Um, you could pair him in ROH. I think he pairs wonderfully as well with like a future role with the Bucks. You remember like the Bucks talking about that story with Brian Danielson at PWG in that match where they got roughed up by, by uh, Danielson and Roderick Strong. That's a future rematch right there. There's just so much you can do with him. And for a guy that's, you know, probably wasn't going to get called to the main roster, or at least we don't know, but they had plenty of chance, of course, and they never took. I think AEW is a perfect fit for him. And I think he's good for AEW. QTV is back. It's been a rough few weeks for them. And Hobbs Hobbs comes in and puts QT up against the wall, stating things were going well when I was following the book. And QT calls it a conspiracy against him. And QT led him to the title, and he will again. He promises. He gives him his word, and Hobbs tells him, fix it. So QT says, we are moving on to plan B, whatever that is. Jade Cargill against Taya Valkyrie for the TBS championship. So Taya will be disqualified if she uses the road to Valhalla. But that doesn't stop her from immediately going for it. Uh, But then Jade stops it. So Jade then pulls her by the leg into the splits. They fight on the floor during the break. Uh, Jade scales to the top for a superplex, followed by a Canadian destroyer. And Taya then counters the Jaded with an arm drag, double stomps Jade, and applies the overhooks, lifts her up, but then puts her down knowing that she'll get disqualified. And this gives Jade the opening to roll her up and hook the tights in eight minutes and 14 seconds. A lot more selling than a usual Jade Cargill match. How did you think she did in a eight-minute setting here? Mm, I, I thought it was meh, you know, to be honest. Like, um, I think Jade is somebody that, like, I, I have in the past, like, been grading on a curve. And maybe at some point I kind of should still. But it's been, like, a few years now, John. And even though she's shown improvement, I think the progress has been, like, relatively slow. Because... I think the bar continues to be set so high in AEW. And in the meantime, I feel like with this run, she's taking a valuable resource that I think could be better used for a division that is struggling for TV time right now, you know, and, and they're burning through so many of these challengers, you know, and, and that's what Taya has just kind of like come and gone. This is her first match on dynamite, which is a title challenge. Like for a lot of people, I think your title challenge should be like the culmination. Her first match on dynamite. Yes. She's had a few rampage page matches, but like, for a lot of people, this is their introduction to Taya on Dynamite, and it's just like, you know, loss in a title match to Jade Cargill, and where does she go after this? Well, um, it was very strange because you have this whole match where she is handicapped by not being able to use her finisher, and then she knocks down Mark Sterling and Layla Gray, okay, and then she lifts up Aubrey Edwards for the road to Valhalla, and man, did this strike a chord with this audience who were not down for Taya going after their beloved referee here. And I can't imagine that they were expecting any kind of reaction but this when you're cho- of all the people to choose. Like if you are grabbing one of the male refs, it's a big pop that you're teasing it. But for mm-hmm. Aubrey, not taken that way. So it almost felt as though you were turning Taya here 
which I would think at the very least you want to do the match where it's finisher versus finisher. And you took away to me the most interesting aspect of this. And I don't even know if they're circling back to this. I don't think so. I th- I think this is it, you know, a- after this feud. But um, I it feels kind of early, you know, for a a heel turn. We're, like we're talking about her, like she's she's not even established really on the AEW roster yet. So I I, I don't know if, if necessarily the solution is to like um you know have her win a, a TBS championship, for instance. But I I, I don't I, I just feel like I think if we're talking about like who should have the TBS championship, I almost think like Jade and Athena could be switching roles. And I think under maybe the shelter of an ROH, that'd be a perfect platform for her to like continue to to develop even you know with the with the belt on her hand whereas i think right now for television you need somebody who can work to the level of an athena of you know one of your more established stars just to open up the d- division and create some really big matches i'm i'm kind of tired of these squash match sort of like you know mm, kind of basic level matches we've been getting i know that ring of honor is going to be it's not the priority but it's still going to be on their you know schedule once the Saturday show comes. But to me, once you add this new show, I don't think you can justify an Eddie Kingston or a Athena being strictly earmarked for ROH. Like you can work both of them, but exclusive to ROH, that makes no sense to me. Yeah. I'm, I imagine you'd get guys cycling in and out, you know, like similar to, you know, like what people are doing in NXT um, where you get a main roster guy out there, go into ROH, maybe refresh a little bit and then come back to Big Pop. Maybe you have that, but yeah, I don't know. Britt Baker with her black eye is with Jamie Hayter, who is in a sling, and they noted that the outcast had sent Jamie Hayter to the hospital last week, and thus she could not come to save Britt Baker. So explaining that, which was you know noted um, as a big gap last week, um, but she's in the sling, and Hayter was sent to the hospital, and thus they have declared war and the only way that this is going to end is by sending them to the morgue. Um, the bloody morgue, she the said specifically. Morgue. Yeah, so, I mean, I hear the words war. I hear the word blood. Seems like it could be a tease for blood and guts. Morgue match. Or morgue match or a trunk match. Could be. Maybe we'll get an interpromotional. Tony D'Angelo and Stax come in. Yeah. And then they reunite with two dimes. Maybe does does um uh does Taya join the outcast? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, why not? I guess. Then we had an all timer here from Excalibur. I had to rewind this multiple. You, times. you also had a Sean Spears, Ricky Starks, and Bullet Club Cold uh, video. Yes, yeah, that was part of the lineup here for Rampage. Oh, okay. So we got right. Starks and Spears against Juice Robinson and Jay White. Juice is coming to kick them in the balls. Man has a mission for Saturday or Friday mm. when the show airs. Dustin Rhodes and Keith Lee, naturally limitless, will be in action. The Outcasts will speak. The Acclaimed and Daddy Ass will speak. Anna Jay against Ashley D'Amboise and Cash Wheeler against Jay Lethal. And then Dynamite has the tag match to set up double or nothing. And then an eight-man tag with the JAS against Orange Cassidy, Adam Cole, Bandito, and the debuting Roderick Strong next week. And Excalibur, like, just lightning his way through this. And at the end... We have Shivani. I thought we were going to take a break. Me too. And then they do go to break. But dude, if you listen to this, it was like Excalibur was almost didn't make it to the end. But the man is just uh, something else when it comes he, to these rundowns. He, he's like the micro micro machines guy now. 
It's it's it was, this was yeah. one of the the craziest. Mm-hmm. And the main event, Kenny Omega, Konosuke Takeshita against The Blade and The Butcher with Brian Danielson on commentary, accusing the elite of resting on past laurels where Kenny Omega hasn't even gone after MJF for the AEW title and the Bucks haven't gone after the tag belts. So we've got Kip Sabian at ringside along with Penelope Ford and Omega goes for a dive and gets tripped by Kip and Butcher then dives onto him. They beat on Omega throughout the break, makes the tag to Takeshita and clotheslines Butcher, Brainbuster is hit, and then there's a two-on-one attack with Omega making the save, and then there is a blue thunder bomb to Butcher, Blade is in for the save, and then we get Takeshita and Omega with a flying knee, Snapdragon to Blade, Topekun Hero to Blade and Kip, and then Takeshita drilling Butcher with the knee to score the pinfall. I thought the match was was good, um, but I don't think it necessarily stole the show or anything, and I don't know if it was really designed to, like... I, I was really excited to see the pairing of Omega and Takeshita, but I don't know if like this was the type of match where they showed any like spectacular like Golden Lovers level type of or even Hangman and, and Kenny level type of like special tag team offense or anything. Um, just seemed like it was, I guess for a Kenny Omega Takeshita like a bit more of a standard match just to kind of set up the post match angle. But it was good. What do you think? Yeah, I felt that with a number of these matches, and certainly with the Cassidy Bandito. It's like you do realize how high I think the expectation level is for Dynamite um, that that I would not even say I apply to to Rampage or any other AEW programming. But on Dynamite, I think for a main event, like you are expecting your four-plus star match um, and sometimes multiples of those on one show, which is a pretty insane uh, level to expect mm-hmm. like this was the a fine match but it was more so to get to the ending where you had this big angle coming and i think the fact that this main evented the show you kind of knew that this was not just going to be um the big all out go for it all match it was right. designed to be a story at the end which is what this was so danielson is constantly talking on commentary about Takeshita being better suited to train with bcc than the elite and he gets on the mic and calls Takeshita a professional while Omega's an amateur who looks exhausted and your best days are behind you living off a legacy you built in Japan. Takeshita is a prodigy. And if you trained with the elite, if you trained with the BCC as he corrects himself, but then he yells down at the crowd and actually did, did a pretty good recovery here. And with that, the BCC, they attack Omega. Danielson has a screwdriver and the young bucks arrive throwing around super kicks Omega hits a snapdragon to Moxley, and Matt takes the screwdriver, hands it off to Omega, but Takeshita stands in front and does not want Omega to stab Moxley. So with that, Moxley shoves Takeshita into Omega and hits a paradigm shift onto Omega. Takeshita's looking all confused. Danielson comes in and raises his arm, says he wants Takeshita to be with the BCC, but then all of a sudden, as he's standing there, Yuta just low blows him. So I guess that was his decision he had to make. And when he didn't embrace them, low blow to Takeshita and Moxley attacks Takeshita with the screwdriver to end the show. Yeah, so he's bled with the BCC. What does that mean? He is, uh, well, yeah, he has now swapped, uh, yeah, blood. Mm. So this was well, either his initiation or... I mean, just for the numbers, it would make logical sense for Takeshita to ultimately go with the BCC and opens up your ability to do this four-on-four match. 
Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, a heel Takeshita is not something that I I would think about, but why not? You know, and and it Bacallus. serves the purpose with Don Callis of mm-hmm. finally having Callis turn. And now, now, how would Callis explain? You know, getting busted up by the BCC. Well, you know, he filmed a message that was to air if his demise is met, and this was a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah no i think a very, still- a very hard one to explain if callus ends up with these guys and even Takeshita here i mean it's well he bled with the bcc okay he okay t- maybe that's that was his initiation all- yeah it's like you bled your way into the bcc <laughs> and when it. your blood met our sweat mm-hmm. you saw our vision okay there we go yeah you know it could, it could all make sense i think this is the a program you know clearly heading into double or nothing um and i think it's in really it's the oddest thing they have at, yeah. at the moment yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and i certainly see this being your anarchy in the arena and if it's this four-on-four match one thing it's it's a like hangman is out selling this screwdriver injury but it's like his name isn't even brought up and maybe that's by design that they want you to sort mm-hmm. of forget about him but yeah. it, it's sort of like out, out of sight out of mind at the moment so let's say Takeshi that joins bcc then hangman makes it four um so then bcc have one two three four five how does that work you um you're talking moxley danielson claudio yuda and Takeshita, right you you would have five on omega page the bucks well you know, listen Takeshita could really be on either side um there's still a lot of things they could do with it so yeah it's interesting still all right that was dynamite it was um i would say it was like an average edition of of dynamite um yeah you know the the wrestling was fine um the stories like i I can see where, like, you can probably put together a good amount of this double or nothing card of where you can see things building to, and I, I think there's there's a wavering level of where they're at, but with the understanding you have like four weeks still till this pay per view. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I'm really excited about whatever they're doing with the BCC and the Elite. Matt Hahn here is suggesting Kota Bushi might be able to join the Elite. I mean, that would you know really take it to the next level. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I, I think the story is being really well told. Uh, maybe, um, yeah, Phantom Bump aside from Don Callis, um, everything else has I think been been really good. I'm I'm not been um, so I've not been so hot on the pillars um, direction as of this past couple weeks, but they're clearly trying to drag this thing out all the way to the pay-per-view. And uh, by the time that match takes place, I'm sure I'll be pretty hot for it, but I haven't been really that, that enthused by the, the creative. And what else have we got? Baker hater. Versus I think the outcasts. you're, I think you're like, yeah, with, with the, with the outcasts. Um, that's the, unless you go the mixed tag route, which they've kind of teased with like a reason for Cole and Baker to team up with a uh, uh, Jericho and Soraya, especially if Jamie hater is actually hurt um right which, okay. which we don't know at, at this moment like that's hmm. that's certainly an option and might be an interesting like way to do that instead of cold jericho straight up um hmm. you're going that direction seems like wardlow and luchasaurus that i could see being held off for the pay-per-view as opposed to uh television as well um do nothing... we have a trios program being built right now um not exactly right. um, well they could always announce something yeah, where are the, uh, I'm guessing I'm guessing they're 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 doing a lot on Rampage, um, and then we got the tag teams, FTR versus Lethal and Jarrett. Yeah, which you could always that could always the, the tag division is always one where you could imagine multiple mm-hmm. teams in, or you just go the straight up uh, tag direction for that. So 
Those are some of your maybe the Taya thing will continue. I don't know. Maybe they will do a match where like she's not shackled with with without not not doing the move. And maybe maybe Jade gets gets that program because it would be awfully fast to just extend. I would feel you would want to get one more out out of that with. um, But yeah, those are sort of your top programs. Let's go on and uh, see what everyone had to say about uh, tonight's dynamite. We uh, we can do some super chats if you want to throw any in. And we have uh, plenty of feedback here on the forum. Yeah, uh, first I want to uh, thank Venom Lion for becoming a new member of our YouTube channel. Of course, if you want to join our Post Wrestling Cafe video version, you can always do that at video.postwrestling.com. So welcome to the channel, Venom Lion. Uh, This super chat comes to us from Big Big Time Baxter, who says, If SmackDown goes to streaming, could Raw and NXT face some ripple effects as a result of lesser eyes to promote the brands while facing declining homes? Um, as a theoretical, if you are were taking SmackDown to a streamer, I think you could see some of that. I, I don't know if it's necessarily. Um, I don't think it would be that pronounced. I would say with Raw and NXT, what you would be facing is the the state of the USA Network, and if it can, like, they're in roughly seventy three million homes at, at the moment. Like, what is what what is like the level that USA is going to fall? two over this next contract. I think that is going to have a much more pronounced effect rather than having a, a network outlet to promote your other shows. But it's, it, it's a question worth asking. I mean, it's a, this question is essentially asking what has SmackDown being on Fox provided the WWE? Well, I would say it's, it's more in my sense, just directly to SmackDown in that here is one show that regardless of your, subscriptions that you have or your cable if you don't have cable like here is one two-hour wrestling program that you have access to and does not require a cable subscription and it can access people Mm -hmm. that you can't on cable and you can't on your streaming platform so i would look at that as the value and as we have seen when they have built up things that they're well, SmackDown, there, there's been weeks that it has done really well when you have something big like the Bray Wyatt debut or s- some of the recent episodes this year when you've had a big bloodline story of of where things can go. And and for its performance, it is many weeks the number one show, sometimes on television on Fridays. All right. Yeah. Let's go to a forum.postwrestling.com where our Patreon patrons can always leave their feedback. Shall Matthew. I start? Oh, you, you okay. start, John. Yeah. Matthew writes... Excalibur is a legend for his ability to do those match announcements for the next shows. It was nice to see the TBS champion on TBS and the title was defended. No less nice to see someone woke Arn up from his nap to come out for that promo. Takeshita is going to be a big star probably sooner than later. How, how, what is the Arn nap, napping comment supposed to mean? I don't know. I, I, I thought Arn was uh, I liked Arn's promo. Hmm. Okay. Let's go to Tim from LA who says tonight's dynamite had some really spectacular moments on it. Orange Cassidy continues to elevate the international championship and make it the most relevant it's ever been. His match with Bandito tonight was my match of the night. Having Roderick Strong debut in such shocking fashion was great. And I love that Tony Khan decided to go with his ROH theme, which is what kills Switch and Gage, I believe. Uh, I definitely would be down for some trips, trios matches between BCC, the Elite, House of Black, JAS, and Cole Strong and O'Reilly when the latter is back and fully healthy. I think that it is only inevitable that it'll most likely be Chris Statlander that defeats Jade for the TBS Championship. Overall, tonight's Dynamite was a solid 8 out of 10. 
We go on to Chris from South Bend. I thought tonight's show was kind of a return to what I love most about AEW, and that is the in-ring action. Orange and Candido was a personal highlight, and I screamed like a banshee for Roderick Strong. Some good angles mixed in to accentuate the matches. Good show. But a mugging who says, a couple lame finishes that marred an otherwise solid dynamite. First, the four-way world title match was always the goal, but it took an overbooked pack to get there. And next week's Pillars tag points even more in that direction. Jade and Taya was burned through on television, and I'd like to think a rematch is forthcoming for double or nothing, because if Statlander isn't ready by next month, have Jade lose to Taya. The most newsworthy part was Roderick Strong showing up, and for once, it was kept under wraps. I should have caught that kill switch joint sooner. To Kate from Montreal, Orange Cassidy is having an excellent title run and has become one of the highlights of AEW programming. That makes it all the more remarkable that people will also cheer for Bandito during their match. If you can get the crowd into it while you're fighting one of the most adored baby faces, you can go far. I'm hoping more than ever that Kyle O'Reilly is healing well because Undisputed Era 2.0 would be a great addition to the trios division. A fun episode, but now I want pickles. <laughs> so a converted purchaser is Kate from Montreal for this MJF brand of pickles. This one comes to us from Zubin, and I I hope I pronounced that right because I, I um I've been trying. Zubin says, "Evening, Jance Wild, end to the show tonight." On a slightly unrelated unrelated note, should Bushi join AEW? To what extent do you foresee his storylines with Omega drawing on their Golden Lovers history, especially the homosexual aspects? I'm curious if AEW and Tony would shy away or lean into them. Thanks for the hard work. Well, I mean, I don't know how pronounced, like you know maybe the the homoeroticism ever was I, I i certainly don't think they shot away from it but um at least like i'm talking about the new japan iteration um mm-hmm. I, I i guess i i he shouldn't feel weird about it right but i i don't know what like um is sort of taboo for broadcasters i don't think any of it should be taboo i i if i'm tony i would say absolutely yes like that was one of the most interesting aspects of of that particular tag team was the fact that like you saw some like, you know, like great representation of, uh, you know, what, what might've been um, lovers or they might've just been really good friends. I, I think you'll probably see something similar in AEW. And the last one goes to Jake from the Windy City. Uh, this was a better dynamite than last week's for me. We had a variety of presentations of wrestling with each match. Seems like the four-way MJF told us wasn't happening will be. Roderick Strong was a, su- a surprise and a welcome one to me as an old ROH fan. Cassie and Bandito becoming best friends is something I'm here for. Finally, this has to be an all-timer for Excalibur. He probably needs an oxygen mask after that. I'm truly looking forward to Dark Side of the Ring this year with the exception of Bash at the Beach that will probably have Russo and his BS infected in it. That Magnum TA episode will be heartbreaking and inspiring to think he was on a trajectory to be one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Pretty much Flair and Dusty-like level of star if it wasn't for the crash. How much he has overcome his biggest obstacles will be emotional to watch. Yeah, I, I'm sure that one will be a, a very well done episode on uh, one Terry Allen. But yes, uh, that is all coming up this season on Dark Side of the Ring. So thanks everybody for uh, tuning in tonight to Rewind a Dynamite. And this coffee has done wonders for this show. So I'm going to go uh, run some laps or maybe paint my house. I don't know what I'm going to do for the next few hours. What are you up to tonight? Way? I'll be watching the cruiserweight classic finals. Oh <laughs> boy. I, uh, I watched, I actually watched that one too far ahead. I almost have to go back and check what I watched like a week and a half ago, but mm. yes, next week 
On Rewind Away, we are chatting the Cruiserweight Classic Finals, and we are flying in Bruce Lord to review the show with us in person in Toronto. So look out for that. Cruiserweight Classic. Oh. Oh, sorry. No, oh, let's, was... let's all listen to uh, <laughs> sorry. Paul Levesque sorry. reminding us of the Cruiserweight Classic and uh, Kota Ibushi in WWE. Yeah, that's it. No, we're talking about Kota Ibushi. I mean, this was a, b- a pretty landmark tournament, so um, we'll talk a bit more about it on Monday, I'm sure, but I'm I'm excited for Bruce Lord being in town. That's right. And from tonight's Dynamite main event to the Cruiserweight Classic, you've got Brian Danielson on commentary. So That's you know, it. Yeah. More of that to look forward to. So that's next week. Uh, but in the immediate future, Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com, it is the latest edition of Talk, as Way and I will go into uh, many topics that you are not going to hear on this show. And then Friday night, we're back at 10 Eastern, right after the draft. The WWE draft, not the NFL one. And we will be chatting about everything that goes down on SmackDown. And this weekend, new long and winding Royal Road with uh, WH Park. And Dylan Fox is with him this Saturday. WrestleNomics on Sunday. And uh, lots to look forward to. So that is it for us. For Way, I am John. And thank you for tuning in to Rewind a Dynamite. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.